I believe that becoming a better man means being more reliable and more supportive in relationships. Whether that be with friends, family or partners, human connection is important for all of us. So I've designed a test that will help you improve yourself and your relationships. There's a link to it in the show notes. I'll tell you more at the end of this episode. For now, enjoy listening. I text him. I text his phone all the time still uh, because I just miss him. Just miss him. And uh, it's unfair that he's not here. It's sad he's not here. Welcome to Stories of Men Beneath the Surface. I'm Alex Melia. Join me as we discover what it means to be a man in the modern era. Today, we're hearing about a friendship between two men that lasted a lifetime and what happened after a tragic loss. Anthony met Dave Chapman when they were just eight years old. The boys were thick as thieves. They played on the same football team and they became friends for life. Dave, or Chapo to his friends, was a real lad's lad, the life and soul of the party. As they grew up, Anthony and Dave spent a lot of time together. They sent each other voice messages all the time and went on holidays together. But just before Dave turned 29, he was diagnosed with a rare form of bladder cancer. The diagnosis was terminal. Anthony remembers going to visit him in hospital near his final days. We walked in and me and our other best mate, Beza, Scott, were both trepidatious to get there. So we started walking slower. Obviously, we're desperate to see him. I don't want to see what condition he's going to be in. It was a surprise. He wasn't expecting us. And it was late. It was late on a Saturday night. Like, and because he was 29, and they were like 60-odd, 70-odd, 80 on the ward. And everyone liked him. He was young and loud and funny. And he's just a, a nice, just very personable. And we walked in, and we did the old our handshake we always did, a little cuddle. And I said we surprised him. And it was a bit like, a bit sheepish at first, because... Being a proud man, he doesn't want his mate to see him, you know, with a bedpan beside his bed. We didn't care. We didn't give a fuck. We just wanted to be there for our friend that we love and care about. As soon as we sat down, me, Chapo and Beza, it was like we were in year nine again. On the school field, just being silly, being naughty, being loud. The nurses came numerous times, turned out to be quiet and just being inappropriate. We were just being kids, mate. We were just laughing. He had a really distinct laugh as well. Like, you, you knew that was Chapel. He had a really distinct Cockney accent, his Mockney accent. It's very deep. His laugh was really loud. <laughs> like, me and him, you knew it was us. Do you know what I mean? Like, you knew it was us. But he was in so much pain. He was in so much pain. We were there for hours. He was a kid. He was young. They knew how in pain he was. And they saw him laugh and heard him laugh. And laughing's good for the soul. Laughing's good for the body. So I stay for a while, and then <laughs> a bit too loud, and he was getting tired. So but let's let's go. Gave him a hug. The mission mate, and I'll come see you next week. And I saw him. I saw him again, but in my head, the last time I saw him is when I was in Beza. If I could relive a two-hour period, it'd be that because because it was just really funny and it was just really good. I text him. I text his phone all the time still. Uh, because I just do. I'm obviously in the 
fortunate position that I've never had a friend die touch wood, but so I can't begin to imagine you expect your grandparents to die at some point, not, not a 30 year old best mate. I'm fascinated about the love between two straight men. You know, you've been mates all your life. And I think there's something really beautiful and poignant about you still continuing to send him WhatsApp messages. How did that start and, and why do you do that and what does it mean to you? We'll get back to the episode in a second. Before that, I just want to say, if you think this episode would be useful to a friend, send it along. You never know, it might just be the exact thing they're looking for today. And now back to the show. Just miss him. Just miss him. And like, yeah, it just, I just miss him, mate, really. And uh, it's unfair that he's not here. Sad he's not here. The last thing he ever sent me, <laughs> the last text he ever sent me, he said, I'm very tired, mate. I'm soldiering on. He had a good day yesterday. I was up having a shower and I washed this morning, so that's good. Got to keep the daily routine as much as possible. I said, good lad. I said, <laughs> so we can't have those balls getting smelly, can we? <laughs> I sent him a few more texts. And then he stopped responding because he wasn't able to really respond. But um, yeah, I just never stopped, really. I never stopped. Like, mission mate. I said, uh, Again, next one, we're taking a piss out of Mazza and Bezza on the WhatsApp. Wish we were here laughing with me. Wish them happy birthday and stuff. Just, do you know what? Like, yeah, I, it's just, it's almost like not wanting to, I know he's not going to text back. It's a really sad day, right? A really sad day. Um, I got a text, it's called David Chapman. And I got a text like a week after he died, maybe four days after he died, from David Chapman. But his dad's also called David Chapman. And his dad wasn't saving my phone. So he came up as David Chapman. And my heart panicked. What the fuck's happened? What's, what's going on? And that spun me out. Like, I didn't like that. So I've, I'm, about to, I'm about to save his dad's number and, and change it to like just a different name because I can't, I don't want to see his name. This cancer, which he had and eventually you know, passed away from, was so rare anyway. It's so rare. But normally when you get it, you're 60 and 70. So it's even 65-year-olds who get it, it's really, really rare form of, of cancer, some sarcoma. But for a 30-year-old to get it, they didn't even put two and two together, turned in, blood test him, and he rang me. I was at lunch with my mate. I went to the golf club with my mate to have lunch. And he rang me on a Friday afternoon, and he said it to me. And he was like, oh, I'll be right, mate. You know, I was right, you know, and he's, um, I'll be cool, you know, I'll get through and stuff. And typically, chap are very, very stoic, very strong, very resolute. And then my question, my question, I'm here for you every step of the way. And I come off the phone and I went for a walk. I fucking didn't really cry, but I had like tears in my eyes thinking, what the fuck? He's, he's 29. He's a baby. Do you know what I mean? What was um, the feelings going through your head? So you, you, what that made you cry? Was it the, like the feeling of the loss that he's not going to be there in the future? Or? No, because I thought he was going to be there. I thought he's fucking Jabbo. He's tough as fuck. Like he's not going to, and he's 30, he's 29. He's not going to die from cancer. That's 29. Like, that doesn't happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it doesn't, it just, I didn't think, it was, I never thought, I always thought he was going to be there. And I thought, we'll, we'll be this, and we'll do this, and I'll, I'll be there for him, the boys will be there for him, his mum, his great family. You know, he's 29. Jabro was, he was, a, he was a lad. He was a proper lad. Right? He worked at Asda, he stacked shelves at Asda. And Jabro's philosophy for most of his life was, as long as he's got a few quid, to have a few beers with mm-hmm. boys on the weekend, and go watch West Ham, mm. he was happy. 
I can't talk about losing a friend, but I can think about losing family members. And it feels like there's a void in your family or in your, your network of people. Does it feel like that with David where you've got this social group, you know, you do, you've done all these stag do's and all your weddings together, but he's, he's just, it seems like the, you know, the life and soul of the party and he's just not there now. And is that what you're doing when you're, when you're sending in WhatsApp messages and things like that? Is it because you're trying to fill that void? I guess so. I guess so. Uh, at his funeral, um, lovely day, and it was emotional, man. I, I was one of the pallbearers and took the coffin in and turned up at the funeral, and it was during COVID times. We could have 20 people in the funeral. Hundreds of people turned up, hundreds from school, with work, from this, with hundreds. I'm getting tingles talking about it. And then we went back to – we hired a big Airbnb with a swimming pool and stuff afterwards. We had, like, the wake celebration there, and we all got so drunk. It was a gorgeous day in June – like something funny would happen, right? Something funny would happen, something funny would be said in our group. And I'd look and look for Chapo to tell him, to bring him in, because me and him had the same humor. We were so like, we, we just loved everything. And like something funny would happen, fuck, Chapo's got to hear this. Where's Chapo? Oh, fuck. Right, as you know, he's not here. And so the more drunk I got, the more free effort I got, I go, oh, fuck, Chapo, where's Chapo? You go, fuck, he's not here. And that was like, for me, it was like, was not going to be anymore to share these moments with, you know. And actually, there's seven of us. We're best mates in the school. We we're really, really tight. And when he passed away in 2020, that was either going to bring us really close, us six, like unbreakable brothers for the rest of our lives, or we were going to, like, disperse. Actually disperse. Like, we don't talk to each other much anymore. The WhatsApp group is dead. Um, we just don't talk much anymore. and. It's strange how he was the glue, right? He was the glue that held us together. And I guess it's all like all our memories are intertwined with one another. And I guess it's painful. We don't talk about, like we just don't talk much about it. I talk to all the boys individually. I talk to the ones I want to talk to individually. But like as a group in this setting, like, yeah, it's kind of like he was he was the he was the nucleus, the, the glue. And now with him gone, we've just kind of like spread out. And it's that's really sad. It's all like the synergy of two plus two equals five. And it sounds like he was that person who made it five. hundred percent. Even as a kid, even as a, as a teenager, like he had this charisma and gravitas that like you wanted him around and days were better when he was around. I keep talking about how funny he was. He wasn't just funny. And this is the sad part of our friendship that we were then developing. Our friendship was mainly like born out of laughter and humor and then um, the year, you know, the year when he got got COVID, he was down um, in London at the Marsden for a long time, basically a whole year, staying at his auntie's house, which was just around the corner for me. So we'd spend a lot of time together, and we'd have these long, deep like conversations on the phone and in person, and in, and in the hospital, which we never had before because our friendship was born out of humour and, and school and funny stuff and football and boxing and and, and sport. And, and then our friendship went to a whole other level, and we started developing this this understanding of each other, and and real like kinship, which we hadn't done before. And that was really difficult when we when 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 he when he left because we just started scratching the surface of this. And I said everyone kept saying like how funny he was, and now and he was. But I said to his mum, he's way more than that. Like morally, he strays an hour. Like so kind. Um, 
a good man, mate, a real good man, a real, real good man, uh, David Chapman. It's been nice to, to share his story. He was a kid from East London slash Lower Stoft that not many people are going to know him, his name, because he went to school, he got half good grades, played football a little bit, stacked shelves at Asda. Like his story's not nationally, it's not, not going to be told forever, you know. It's just nice to kind of tell his story and let people know how much of a nice guy he was. And also, this is a human story. Every single person on the planet over a certain age has lost somebody or if they haven't, they're going to. They're going to lose somebody. It's going to happen. If you mentioned yourself, you thankfully never lost anybody, a, uh, a friend, a uh, similar age. And, mate, you're going to do. I mean, it's just, just going to happen, you know, be it now, five or ten years' time. And it's it's hard. And you, you don't expect it to happen. Nobody ever does expect it to happen. But it happens. I think there's a magic to when you've got a really solid friendship group, you know you can trust them and – I realize every day I'm so grateful that I've got that in my life, but I recognize that a lot of people don't have that. And, you know, there's something to be said about you don't take these people for granted because you don't know how long they're going to be around for. Nothing's guaranteed, is it? We used to laugh about, we used to go and play snooker, down snooker club, me, Beza, Chapo, some of the boys, and have so much fun. Again, it'd be when, when we'd turn up with my little snooker cue. From Argos, 20 quid. Thank you, from Argos. They'd go, oh, for Christ's sake, really, you were up on the bar, for fuck's sake, they're, they're, they're back. We'd always get table nine, because the first is the furthest table in the corner, and we could be silly and annoying. And it always come up, oi, Rod as well. Oi, oi, boys, behave yourself. And we're like, <laughs> we're lumping around doing car rolls and forward rolls on the floor, because like, we were playing, we were playing for, we'd always play, the first time we lost, we'd buy half a pint of Coke, right? Second time we'd lose, you'd buy a boost. So the first one has a five quid round, four quid round. Second one, a two quid round. Table would be like 15 quid. So like whoever lost each each game, they have to pay for the thingy. So like the intensity would be like playing for the World Cup final. I mean, like we'd be like, one of no one to lose so bad. And we'd, we all used to say that we'd be here when we were 80, we'd come and play snooker. Like old boys fucking about. Um, and yeah, and unfortunately, mate, things don't happen the way you want them to always. And I think, you know, whether it's people or moments as well, like those moments, like we had a real close friendship group. We haven't really got that anymore because of situations that have happened. I think it's about um, appreciating and really enjoying and being in the moment when you're in those moments because it hasn't got to be the death of a, of a friend. But anything can happen. And your groups can kind of disperse. You can have kids. You can, you can, you know, people can move away. If there's one sentence to describe David Chapman, what would it be? If you put, put it on his gravestone? Well, I did. We did. Some man for one man. Can you describe what you, what you, what you meant by that and why you chose that? He's just, he's some fucking man. He's one man, but he's some man. Do you know what I mean? I don't know how else you describe it. A mountain of a man. A man of a man, he got you packed so much of the, the charisma, aura, mm. humor, kindness, humidity. He is some man for one man. At his funeral, I did a speech um, at, the, at the after celebration, and I did 10 things, like 10 life lessons we've got to learn from Chapo's life, from his 30 years on, on this world. And one of them was be you. Be unapologetically you because I like I'm a big piss taker. A lot of our friendship is taking the piss out of each other. 
and like I ripped him to shreds day in and day out. He never changed. He never became more reserved. And I love that about him. He was just him, right? So we'd wear like naughty, tra- like naughty trainers, um, like socks pulled up to his kneecaps. <laughs> like Adidas original socks, which funnily enough, I do not leave the house now without wearing my Adidas original socks. Like I've copied his style a lot because I just miss him. Like when he was here, I whipped the piss out of him. But now he's not here. <laughs> I was stolen his, I was stolen his, um, his wardrobe essentially. Can you tell us, Anthony, about your upcoming podcast? I know you've done four or five episodes so far. It is the Getting Back Up podcast with me, Anthony Ogogo. I'll talk to people that have um, achieved great things in their lives, but only after suffering um, a great setback. So I'll talk to athletes that have achieved amazing things in their lives, but also regular people that have achieved amazing things in their lives. And it's, it's inspirational, inspiring people for those that, on the verge of giving up, as I was for many years when I had my eye injury, I was on the verge of giving up. That's my boxing career, but on life as well, I was on the verge of giving up. So I was always trying to listen to inspiring stories to kind of get me through one more day and get me through one more day until I had enough onus to get myself through those days. And that's what I want to do is uh, just to kind of yeah, just broadcast and highlight and spotlight people that have had amazing stories. episode with Anthony made me reflect on whether we actually grieve the end of a friend's life the way that we would if it was a family member. And do we as a society overlook the impact a friend's life can have on our mental health? For me personally, I would think of a close friend dying the same way that I would think of a family member or a partner dying. It's the shock and surprise of it because I'm 35 years old. If a close friend died, it's very different to if a grandparent died, for example, who was towards the end of their life. The really sad thing for me was that it just felt like it was getting going. They'd finally started to talk about deeper topics away from the banter and the jokes that you have with your friends. They started to talk about where their lives were going and the meaningful impact of their friendship. Something they wouldn't have even dared to speak about many years ago, which feels like a pretty similar journey to a lot of male friends. Is there a lesson there? Should we be telling our male friends what they really mean to us before it's too late? Because life is not guaranteed to anyone. My own experiences of close friends telling me that they love me or me telling them is usually on a dance floor when we're drunk at 3 or 4 a.m. And as men, I think we want to get beyond that. We want to be able to tell each other in a sincere way how much they mean to us. Tell the people in your life that you love them. Before you go, I need to tell you about our man test. Because as men, we can struggle to forge strong relationships, often by being bad communicators. I've definitely been there. This podcast is about helping you better understand who you are as a man to become the best version of yourself. And the team and I have designed a simple quiz for you to discover more about your identity as a modern man. It takes less than three minutes to complete and it's going to help you establish better relationships and form stronger connections. Whether that's with your partner, friends or co-workers, the Man Quiz is going to help you become more trustworthy, reliable and dependable in all your relationships. Find the link to the quiz in the show notes now. You never know, you might just learn something new about yourself that you didn't know before.